We interview people who have a powerful impact on the community, music, or the culture at large. I'm SP, your host, and we have the goddess joining us today. Hello. And this evening, we have the honor of interviewing Chip Fu. How are you doing tonight? I'm pretty cool. I'm good. I'm good. good. How y'all guys good. doing? How y'all guys doing? Let me shake all that off. How y'all guys doing? Y'all good? We're good. Okay, cool, cool. We we're we had some um confusion earlier. <laughs> it happens. It's cool. It's cool. I'm sorry. Um so I've been so looking forward to this and we ha I have so many questions um, because yes. seriously, I, I, I've i always thought y'all were just so dope and I didn't, I never thought y'all got the shine that I thought y'all should have because as fire as, as the Fushnickens was, I, I just felt like it should have been way bigger like um so but just while i'm rambling um where did you get your where did y'all get y'all sound from because you were so different than everyone else um i think that all happened because you know all three of us three different backgrounds uh spanish and west indian so i think um we just fused our own uh, styles together to come up with our own unique sound. There was no boundaries to what we were trying to do. Because if you notice back in the days, like um, everybody had a particular sound. You know, mm -hmm. and then if you say De La Soul, then you're thinking Long Island. You know, you're thinking Tribe Called Quest, you're thinking Queens. But when you thought Fushnickens, no one was thinking Brooklyn. And we were right here in Brooklyn. Everybody was thinking we was from some other weird place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But that's how we came up with our own unique sound, just by mixing uh, what we grew up on culturally, which was um, soca, merengue, reggae, and and just basically using the uh, the syncopation from those type of records and music itself, and and just basically blending them. Oh, okay, that's mm -hmm. pretty dope. Um, being I... being from Brooklyn and having so many different backgrounds. Um, with you personally, how did that affect your music and your creative process? Did you freeze or, or what am I just getting? Is that what you just said? I may have frozen. Okay. Okay. Just being from Brooklyn, how did that uh, um, affect your sound, affect your music, your art? I mean, it, it affected in a positive way because, you know, Brooklyn is the melting pot, um, especially East Flatbush, Brooklyn. You have everybody from different countries just there. And it's it's um, you're bound to bump into so many MCs and so many reggae artists within like a two block radius. So mm -hmm. me growing up, growing up, I grew up around the corner from UTFO. They actually mm -hmm. played my brother's uh, 16th birthday party. That's when they were on. Um, a different group at the time and um i mean the effect that they had on me on that particular time was incredible because they allowed me to get on the mic and 
and you know rhyme a happy birth my first happy birthday rhyme at 11 for my brother so you know growing up in brooklyn you're always bumping into people like that that will actually um pour into you as an artist i want to say if if you were, if you were that coming up um okay yeah real quick so on Nas's single, it ain't hard to tell, right? He yeah. said Nas is like the Afrocentric Asian, half man, half amazing. So are you Afrocentric Asian that's half man, half amazing? That's a dope question and a dope line. Afrocentric Asian, half man, half amazing. See, now, there's a contradiction with that line, too, because you cannot be an Afrocentric Asian. Okay. So me, you know, I just be strictly Afrocentric and just amazing. Period. Okay, good answer. Good answer. Um, I want to ask some. I want to ask you another question. So, who were some of your, who were some artists that were influential to you specifically? Oh wow, you, it was Karis One, uh, Slick Rick, Grand Pooba. Um, brother Jay from X Clan. I got no one really mentions him, but he was very influential for me. Um, and then you had reggae artists like Shinehead and a lot of other people, but those are the ones coming up that actually, um, that actually made me move my pen and rock him also. I can't forget rock him, the god oh, rock, rock him. He, is a legend. He yeah, he basically, you know, when he came out and changed everything, that was. What I wanted to do, I said, if I ever decided to make a record, I wanted to change how people actually move their pen. I didn't want to, you know, I wanted after me for things to actually change, not for it to just be the regular degular after. You wanted to be influential. Extremely influential. How did you get the name Fushnikin? Fushnikins, we made the name up because we understood that at the time when we were trying to come out, there was a ton of groups coming out. And we were just like, well, damn, we need to come up with a name that'll make us stand out. So we just said, yo, let's just put this, this these uh, words together and it formed Fushnikins. And then we was just like, let's just give it a meaning, which meant fusion, because we fused our styles together to come up with our own unique styles. So that's how that went. Okay. Okay. So for the people that don't really know, like, let's just say there's somebody who, who hasn't, who doesn't really know where you're from. Tell us where you're from and how that's influenced you um to become the man you are today musically personally or professionally uh musically well basically my name is chip Fu. i'm from the group called the fushnikins i mean musically, um i'm sorry what area are you from because there's a lot of people from all over the place that are listening that are tuning I'm, in. I'm from east flatbush brooklyn east okay. flatbush brooklyn um where you know musically there's a heavy west indian base there so that that influenced my music you know, crazy. Um, and being from the West Indies, you know, uh, I'm super grounded culturally, you know, I'm super grounded. So, you know, my focus is totally different because, you know, when you have parents, you know, that come over here as immigrants, you know, your focus is more so on your craft and your job and making sure you do what you have to do for the family. So that's why, that's um, for me, when it came down to, to doing records, they were always done. And because I understood what I had to do after, you know, I made the records, I was actually taking care of my family. So, you know, that's what it was for me. Okay. So the Wu-Tang Clan was kind of um, 
always given credit for uh, for um, the infusion of martial arts into into um, hip hop. And Asian However, culture. you made y'all made references to martial arts way before the Wu Tang Clan. Mm -hmm. So um, my question is, um, how did you? How did y'all come into that making that making that fusion into with the martial arts? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, in all honesty. Uh, when I was growing up, I had respiratory problems mm -hmm. and my father put me into martial arts and they taught me a different way to breathe because of the way the uh, respiratory problems. So I was always, you know, into the Asian culture and I actually studied karate. So when it was time to form a group or whatever, I mean, you know, uh, Pak Fu grew up across the street from me. Uh, he understood that and how serious I was about my craft. And we just adopted the uh, the Asian geese and stuff like that. And we said that we would wear them, you know, basically to signify the lyrical techniques that we've mastered. So it wasn't us trying to do any spoof or anything on it because, I, you know, I was damn near serious about <laughs> everything that we did when the Fushnikins came out. And, you know, actually, you know, martial arts saved my life. So. It was never a um, it was never a problem. I think you know a lot of people get it misconstrued because they saw us come out first with the with the um, the Asian geese and everything. But before us, you had the Beastie Boys who who actually came out the same way. A lot of people just didn't remember that mm -hmm. their, their their glossy photos had them in karate geese. Yes. After us, then you had then you want to say Wu Tang, but in between Wu Tang and us, then it was Jay Ru when he came out. He had on a karate gi, and then yeah. Jay Ru introduced Afu Ra, who came out in a karate gi. So you had a lot of people who um, made, um, you know, who paid homage to the Asian culture. So we can't say that we actually started it. You know what I'm saying? It, it was there before us, and I'm just glad that, um, you know, people accepted, you know, our take and spin on it when we did it. I don't think people really take um, into consideration how um, deep martial arts and the Asian culture is for the black community. No, they don't because you, you got to remember when we were watching the, the, the karate movies on Saturday when they came on, that was kind of like our, our superheroes because they were doing things that people weren't able to do unless yeah. it was a cartoon that we saw and a person was flipping backwards back into a tree and sitting on a limb talking to people. And we were like, wait, that's, that's, that's kind of dope. But then to actually see it and understand that this is a skill that a person had, you know, when you came outside, you didn't want to be Batman and Robin anymore. You know, <laughs> karate guy, you know, Superman wasn't doing it for you no more. No, no one wearing, you know, uh, I want to say no one wearing superhero outfits was in at that time when karate just, you know, hit the scene. You were just like, all right, I really like that these people took, you know, they took uh, their craft seriously. Uh, they had particular styles and techniques and, and, and everybody just loved on that. So I'm not even mad at them. You still got some martial arts moves? Like, you know, if you got tested? I mean, yeah, if I got tested, I feel sorry for that person. I, I, really <laughs> I seriously feel sorry for them. You know? He's like, I haven't forgotten anything. I can no, still I, I still practice. I, I, I have not stopped. Just, you know, I mean, it keeps me sharp. 
mentally, physically, and spiritually. And I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, I pass that on to the next generation also. You know what I mean? So I wouldn't do that if I was a medical person. I, I would leave me alone. For real. Okay, okay. I, I like that warning. What, let me ask you something. What, what, um, what song made you fall in love with hip hop? Like what song was like, wow, this is, this is, this is me. There's a lot of songs. Um, I know there's a lot. I, I, there was a yeah, lot of songs. Suck at MCs. When I heard Suck at MCs from Run DMC, it was the beat. And I was like, well, they're playing a beat like this on radio. This is crazy. I heard the first time I heard it was on was on WBLS. Yes, I, and I heard that. it. And I was like, wait a second, that's 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 totally different. That was the one record that made me fall in love with hip hop. And then um I wanna say Rock him. Um Paid in full that whole, that entire album. Yeah, Rock Him was influential mm -hmm. for real. You know, I, we used to sit there and just listen to what he was saying, uh, and it it was so deep at that time that even in the later years, when you 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 recite some of his stuff, it's like, wow, you know, he was you know extremely poetic and way beyond his years at that time. Because you got to think about it, he was pretty young then when he came out. He so to be saying what he was saying, and now teachers are now dissecting what he's saying. He, that brother was pretty deep. Wow. Mm -hmm. My um, there was supposed to be someone else here, uh, tiptoe, and tiptoe uh got um COVID, so I'm she wasn't able to be here. But she sent me some questions for you because she loves you guys so much. Okay, and she really wanted to know what made you guys come up with. Uh, dash move. Lash move was a term mm -hmm. that meant let's move, but we used to just say it real fast, like lash move, like um, Pakfu and Mapfu. They made that up in high school, and mm -hmm. they used to always say it when they were boarding the bus or they were ready to leave. They just be like lash move, and everybody knew what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. So everybody that was with the crew at that time would actually leave with them, and no one knew what they were talking about. So we were just like, let's actually. Put together a song called Lash Move. You know, we don't got nothing to prove. As long as you're just basically moving and and, and um, focusing on, you know, your priorities at the time, then that's what Lash Move meant to you. So that's one of the, you know, that's why we came up with that song. And she wanted. She said all of your um, albums were so uniquely named. Mm -hmm. And did y'all? Um, what was the thought process when it? came to actually naming your albums? I think when we were naming the albums, it was actually where we were at the time in our lives. Mm -hmm. Like the first album, F You Don't Take It Personal, that's how we felt. We was just like, fuck it, F You Don't Take It Personal. And um, with Nervous Breakdown, I think because of the stress and and what the the label was expecting from us we named the album nervous breakdown because we felt like that was actually happening to happening to us at the time you know what i mean mm -hmm. but you know you're young and you're not understanding that you know you, you you can empower words you get me so that was one of the album titles that we actually didn't like because you know we went through a lot around that time even though the album did incredible you know it wasn't really about album sales at that time it was more so about our 
our livelihood and where we were at mentally. You know, you, you just, you know, you got three kids thrown into the music industry at a young age and then you're just getting tugged and pulled from all over the place. It, it, it didn't make any sense to us. And it wasn't even really about the money, you know, then our, our families just started getting worried about us. So you gotta, you gotta really understand that you just can't just use words. We were like, ah, nervous breakdown because that's what we're going through. But you know, I, I believe that just by putting out that word, you know, that title out there, we empowered it. So, you know, but we, we named our albums after what we were going through. And her last question mm -hmm. was, um, y'all did a song with Shaquille O'Neal. Mm -hmm. She wanted to know how did that happen? Yes. Um, man, listen, I, I'm not even a guy that's into sports. My other two partners are into sports. And they were like, um, you know, flavor unit at the, we were managed by Latifa at the time. And she was like, you know, coming to the office, she wanted to speak to us. And we got into the office and she was, she was super happy saying Shaquille O'Neal loves you guys and said that you guys were his favorite rap group. I was like, who's that? And my other two <laughs> brothers was like, yo, the basketball player, man, first round draft picked. I was like, bro, I don't know who that is. Then I heard that he wanted to meet us. So I'm, I'm not. Again, I'm not into sports. We flew down to Orlando. I'm sitting at a game like, yo, you know, what are we doing here? And then he comes out and he starts playing. And, and just the, his energy was just different to me. It, I, When I was looking at him play basketball, I knew that he was the new whatever it was when it came to basketball. Mm -hmm. You know, and then after um, the game, uh, he was like, yo, you know, I rap. I was like, really? I was like, okay. So then he was like, all right. We went to the studio. When we went to the studio, we already had the song What's Up Doc done, but we could not drop that song because at that time, Space Jams was out with Michael Jordan and Bugs Bunny was in there. So Sony gave us a cease, assist, a cease and assist letter and was like, well, you can't do that. I mean, Warner Brothers, sorry. So we had the record and we were sitting on the record. So I said, yo, instead of that, I said, why don't we say the chorus instead of sampling Bugs Bunny in the chorus. So we said it and then we said, you know something, Shaq, we already, the song's already finished. Why don't you drop your verse at the end? So, you know, he goes into the booth. I was like, oh man, this is gonna take all day. This big ass dude inside <laughs> can't even fit by the mic and shit. Like, but the best part about it was his his and his paper was so tattered. I was like, damn, looked like he was writing that for months. But when he went in there, so focused, and he did it in one take. Wow. He did, wow. Take, he did wow. it in one take, and all we had to do was basically tell him where to pause and stop. That's it. No, like, stop right there, pause. And then, well, other than that, he did it in one take, extremely professional. And we were like, well, damn, that was, <laughs> you know, that was different. And then, you know, everything just started spinning from there. Um, we got a call that um, we got a call from Shaquille O'Neal again, and he was like, you know, Arsenio Hall wants to interview me, but I don't want to do Arsenio Hall unless you guys come on there and perform with me. And I was like, well, hell yeah, we'll come. So we went, did the song, and then the song took off, and and yeah, at that particular time, we sold, we were one of the highest selling groups in uh, the rap game at that time because of everything we got attached to at that time. 
What so was wait it? a second. So wait a second. Uh -huh. That means that means that the checks were nice. You know, for some reason, I thought that that song always was on a sound on a soundtrack. I always never, thought that song. It was ne it was never on a soundtrack. And yes, the checks were nice. <laughs> Goddess is laughing at me. Come on, I'm gonna keep it on it. Yeah, the, the, because I thought it was on a soundtrack. That's why I thought mm -hmm. the checks were nice. Then I'm like, yo, Shaq's in this, and for some reason, I'm mixing up a Space Jam video with mm -hmm. that song. What's up, Doc? Can we rock? And I was like, I was like, I was like, when I talk to my, I'd be like, Chip, I know that check was sweet. The chips wow. were right. The checks were nice when we Ooh, went la, la, la. because of the time and us being able to, you know paired up with uh Shaquille O'Neal that the checks were were were, were pretty nice checks. <laughs> the checks were pretty nice checks. You know, so. Oh, that's so how did you end up working with Fife? Wow, Fife and Pac Fu are actually cousins. And it was strange. I knew Fife from when Fife used to come on our block and he would go across the street to Pac Fu's house, his cousin. And he came outside and played football and everything. So we knew each other from small. Um, let's see. And then it was strange. We ended up at the same label that he was signed to. So getting there and, you know, knowing each other as kids, we were just like, oh, we need to do a song together. And right. Ali Shaheed was basically brought to uh, to co-produce, I mean, to produce the album. So when he came in, we were like, yo, this 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 song right here is crazy. We need to at least get Fife on it. Fife walked in and again, you know, one take, he did his verse. And I was like, wow, this is incredible. And then we had, we were sitting there saying, well, damn, we got, you know, you know, to be able to say that we're one of the groups that uh, a Tribe Called Quest produced for first, be, you know, out of their camp, you know, it's, 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 it's a blessing to be able to say that. Yes. Because they didn't really produce for, for, for much people. I mean, you, it, they were sporadic in different places, like, you know, um, Q-Tip did the Crooklyn Dodgers and all that other stuff. And and I think Ali Shaheed produced on the Bush Babies, but we were his first, the first group that they, they totally produced for, so which is a good thing. What was that session like recording with Fire Philosophy? It was quick. Really? It was quick, yeah. I mean, the weirdest thing was that day, that we recorded Lash Move. We recorded Lash Move, True Fushnik, Heavenly Father, and another record in that one session. So it was just back-to-back -back songs being done, and Ali was just mixing them and like, all right, this is another beat. You, what did you guys have for this beat? Might come in a later chorus. Guys would drop our vocals, and we just keep going. True West Indians. Of course. You know that already, Vegas. How about working with q Working with Q-Tip was different. Um, Q-Tip is 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 the now you see him, now you don't type of guy. And um, I mean, we didn't actually work with him. You know what I'm saying? We didn't actually work with him. The best thing about working with Tribe is Ali. Remember, he's the sound guy. He walks in, he, you know, he sits down. You don't know who produced what, but, you know, everything was under the, the Tribe Call Quest umbrella, you know? Okay. Okay, that's dope. I'm sorry, SP. You were gonna you were gonna ask a question. Oh yeah, I um, I just wanted to think. I, I'm between the time you were um really deep in the music business and now, mm -hmm. what do you see 
as the similarities and the differences and um, what position do you think we're in now? Similarities, none. Differences, several. Um, there's the difference of, of how music is recorded. It's a lot easier. There's a difference in um, the type of music that we're listening to now. There's a difference in um, control, meaning right now artists are in more control than artists were back in the days where these artists basically are setting the, 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 the bar by doing them things, by putting out music for themselves. Um, and, you know, before it was about chasing record companies, now record companies are chasing artists. Mm -hmm. Now there's no longer any record companies. A lot of people have to get that in their mind and have to understand the old way of thinking is gone. There's no longer any record companies there. You got to basically look at the big four record companies that are there as banks because there's no longer any A&Rs. They're not A&Ring anymore. You know, so they're just basically looking at computers and seeing who has the most uh, views or whatever. And that's who they pour their money into. It's, it's no longer finding an artist and grooming them to become stars. There's no longer any grooming. And I think that that's, that's like the worst thing in the world because you could have a person, whoever you sign to your label, they're basically an extension of you. So if that person goes and speaks on your behalf or speaks on Sony's behalf and you have not trained them about how to talk in certain situations, they might mess up a whole bunch of stuff for you. So, I mean, that's the difference about back in, I don't want to say back in the day, the difference between, you know, now and then we were, we were, um, we used to have to sit and answer 50 to a hundred questions before we did interviews with radio stations or we went on television to talk to people and we knew who had to speak first who had right. to clear a voice, who, who who was quick thinking, you know what I mean? And and we understood no cursing, none of those things. But nowadays, you know, you you'd basically be watching the news and an artist is getting interviewed and they just dropping a whole bunch of F bombs because they weren't taught any better, you know? That's so true. just there's a is an is a huge difference between uh then and now. Um the music book before is more soulful and you can actually feel it. Now the, the music to me sounds thin. You, you don't know what you're listening to. You know, mathematically, we knew when the bass line would drop or mathematically, we'd know when the kick and snare were coming. Now you no longer know because it, everything's playing all at once, kick and snare with no bass line. So Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for the future? Um, I'll answer that this way. If some people feel that that's progression, that's progression for them. Okay. But that's not progression for me. Like I can't, I can't step into a, a club and you know, people of color are 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 we're not rhythmically challenged ever. So standing in a club, you would know where certain things would like you. You would never a person could play a record and you would know where the drop in the record would come because mathematically you're in tune and in time with this. The same thing with kids. Right. You have a, a, a child, a Spanish kid or, you know, mixed kids, black kid. And you play a record for them. They're dancing on beat. So we've known this from young. So nowadays, if things are just. They're, 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 they're mathematically out of whack. What do you do? 
So what so what do you latch on to to say that you like the song? It's 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 hard. So I mean, I hope that these kids uh I don't want to come off like the the old uncle that's just like well, my time when we made records, our records is better than that. That's my day, my records. Whoa, 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 whoa. You know what I'm saying? I don't want to come off like that. But I'm just understanding that for me, it, it's 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 there's a difference. But for them, if they look at that as progression, I can't get mad at them. I I, I always say the frequency is off. Thank you. And you can tell. You can just look around and tell that the frequency is is not there. It's not. There's nothing there. It just it seems like somebody's just playing with a tin pot. There's, mm -hmm. there's no rhythm or nothing, and you're just standing there going, okay, I'm waiting for this to drop, and then that's why the cadences are in different pockets, because there's they, they have to create pockets within percussion, which mm -hmm. makes no sense. So you're hearing them in, you know, in pockets and percussion. Creative, yes, but rhythmically, it's off to, to people who've been, uh, who grew up a certain way hearing bass lines, kicks, and snares, and we knew that when a drum roll, when you heard a drum roll, it was either the beginning of the record, the beginning of where the chorus would begin, or the drum roll where the break beat in the record would begin. You know, mm -hmm. so it's, a, it's a difference. And you'd wait for it because you know the dance floor was going to get packed. Thank when you. When that drum, when that drum hit and that Thank break you. beat was going to pop off. Thank you. Was, and you. And you knew. You and knew, you knew that. You knew. <laughs> you knew, and you know the DJ was going to spin that part back again. You knew that. Mm -hmm. Like, listening to Love is the Message. We knew that after a while, when that record built up, and it got to that, it gets to that break part, and when the guy's playing the horn, everybody's destroying the dance floor. And then, you know, the DJ would just spin it back. Nowadays, you don't know what's about to happen. You just be like, yeah, yeah. Like, just wait to see what happens. Yeah, let's see what's going on, yeah. <laughs> And I always say that because there's so many. Okay, there's so many that um, that are pro producing without the drums now. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? It. it what do you think about that? Again, <laughs> I got no words for that. <laughs> again, for me, for me, it it doesn't sound. It doesn't feel natural, but. I noticed that um, in schools, when you play the music of this generation, kids react to it different. They react to this music like how we reacted to ours, you know, growing up. And it's 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 shocking to them. I'm sitting there going, "Really? This is?" But they're probably that's seeing this. Felt. That's how our parents felt about our. Yeah, that's how our parents felt. And so I'm sitting there going, "Really?" And I'm saying to myself, "They're probably saying the same thing about you know." They're probably like, "That was the joint for y'all." That's why. You know, I'm just like, I, you can't really, you can't really get mad at them for, um, for where music is. I mean, if that's again, if that's what they consider progression, then then you know, I, I'm all for it for them. But you know, I mean, even in the schools now. I have a um, uh, class that I teach in schools that I created called MATH, which is an acronym for Music Appreciation, Art, Time, and Healing. And I try to teach them these things in, 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 in schools. And I you know, play different records for them and just tell them, close their eyes and just what comes to mind. And the weirdest thing is they think that 
when I played Juicy Fruit. You know what I'm saying? They were saying, yo, they bit that from Biggie. And I'm like, bro, this <laughs> yeah, okay. I was like, yo, this is the original record. <laughs> So, from <laughs> right. So in my mind, I'm just like, okay, I get how they're thinking because remember, that was the first time they heard that beat was from That's Biggie. They, and they were pissed, like, yo, how they just gonna steal Biggie beat like that? He's not even better. He's not even here no more. You know, I hope they're paying his family. And I'm sitting there going, bro, that's not Biggie. That's mm -mm. that didn't come from Biggie, you know what I mean? But it just goes to show that you know, music is it goes in cycles and yeah. Again, progression is different, you know, at, in different times. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because I always. Um, do you think that there is a difference because we were raised, we grew up hip hop. OK. Hip hop was in us on, mm -hmm. on a different level. Mm -hmm. Do you think the generations um, after us have maybe been um, disserviced by some of us because for most of our generation, hip hop was what we listened to? And it was kind of like opposite when we were growing up because our parents listened to a variety of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we got some blues, we got some jazz, we got a, we got a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, growing up. Mm -hmm. um, but for a lot of our generation who were so enmeshed in the culture that our kids heard, listened to what we listened to, which was hip hop. So yeah. do you think the fact that the... Um, the inspirations are are lost and not so they're not able to find their own sound because they've heard the same sounds and and no um variety okay that is a good take a good way of looking at it um you're only going to go off of what you hear. But I mean, I think that um, at the same time, it's about the individual also. Because as a kid, we knew what we gravitated to, right? And if they're seeing that their, their, their um, counterparts are gravitating to music that is, that is soulless, then they automatically think that that's what the end thing is. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I think that um, radio did a disservice to um, the youth coming up because you started playing, especially when it came to, to territory, they started playing music that was not from the territory. So if you ask a kid now, what's the New York sound, they would not know. Mm -hmm. The first thing that they would say, it would be a, a Southern trap record, but they don't know about a straight up boom bap hip hop record. Nice. And I think that that's where we started losing our footing because, you know, uh, radio started dictating what was, um, what was hip hop when the streets created it and radio borrowed that from us because we told radio what was dope. If it wasn't playing outside in the streets, then it wasn't dope. But we told radio what was dope and now it's backwards. Radio is telling us what's dope. Mm-hmm. 
good answer. I, I like that answer because <laughs> it's one that I kind of struggle with because I also don't want to be the turn that off. That's not music. <laughs> yeah, we, we so, can't get, we can't get to that point because they, they start disliking us. Like you can't play it for him. You can't play. It. <laughs> you, you, know, like that. you said you said that. Um, okay, so you know maybe for them it might be progression. Mm -hmm. What does progression look like to you when it comes to the music space? What 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 do you envision progression would be in this space? Okay, I'll show you. I'll name three groups. You have Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, Outcast. That's progression. They're all from the same hip hop tree, same limb and same branch, but none of them sound alike mm -mm. at all. But you can see the progression in Outkast that they were big fans of De La Soul and Tribe Called Quest, but the records that they made didn't sound like De La Soul or Tribe Called Quest. You get me? That's progression to me. So when you listen to artists these days, you're like, okay, so this is the same cake that i've been eating every day for a month i don't like it because first and foremost it tastes the same right. we knew that when we walked into a record store i could either get red man method man wu-tang tribe uh, souls of mischief there was a lot of variety there's variety but now there's no variety no everything if you close your eyes and play three records back to back you couldn't tell who it was I always felt like music, like after a while, I started to feel like music was a template. Like I would listen to a song and it would be brand new. I'm like, why do I feel like I heard this before? They're like, it there just came out. And there I'm like, go. it just came out, but it sounds like the same sound. And, the and reason, I felt like it's a template that's just the, being reused. Right. And the reason why it sounds like that is no one is afraid to jump out of the box and try something different. Now, mm -hmm. You would if you're hearing the same synths in records, every record has the same synths and run-ons now, and everybody's rhyming in the same pattern. So who, how can you tell? It sounds like somebody just turned the volume up. Yeah. And then you're like, yo, who is that? And it's like, yo, what do you mean by who is that? I just played like seven different artists for you. And I'm like, bro, no, you did not. I heard I heard to me it sounded like one artist, you know what I mean? So that's the, I, that's the I, problem I now. There's, that. there's no difference right now. You can't tell who is who. Are there any new artists that you've come across that you feel have kind of stepped out of the box a little bit, even if they're not getting that, you know, that mainstream attention, but like you feel like, wow, that they're new and they're still kind of dope. They're, they're, they're kind of holding their own water. There's a few. There's an artist called Corday. There's an artist called Mad Squabbles. There's RJ Payne. There's Ransom. Okay. There's there's um Griselda period, Griselda. you know where you you can hear them and understand what you, you can hear them and understand what's happening even though they're younger than us. You can hear them and be like, oh y'all know what time it was. Y'all y'all did your homework. <laughs> Everybody else you'd be like, nah, I don't think so. Y'all y'all was sitting in the back of the classroom making noise. Y'all wasn't really paying attention. But there's some artists that I I hope that uh. DJs pay more attention to and start to um, 
you know, play those records because now now you're you're basically in a space where radio is kind of obsolete because of uh, listings now. If you're not on that playlist, then you're not getting played, and then you're you're forced to play that game. Where now the internet is basically um, the internet basically made it easy to navigate through the the the. Um, they kind of they kind of level the playing field between the majors and the independents right now. Yeah. But so now you know how to play the game without going to radio and spending two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to promote a single, or two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for a DJ to play, and he's just like, yeah, I'm just gonna play this like four times, and your money's done. You know. So, um, I'm understanding that there needs to be changes, and in, in, there need to be changes in those areas, and we have to understand the new narrative that you don't have to go to radio. You know what I mean? And right. because the these the artists that I mentioned, none of them are getting heavy radio play and they're still making an impact. Right, right. And and, and that that that's a that's a strong point. Yeah. I feel like um a lot of um if it, it seems like a lot of the really genuinely good artists don't have as much play as something that's mainstream. So it's almost right. like, you know, it's um it's like a, a, a diamond in the rough now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. the, the good stuff on YouTube don't have a lot of views, but they're no. still good and quality. Mm -hmm. You know? So, um, but real quick, what's your favorite Chinese food? <laughs> Singapore. Singapore is noodles, uh, noodles and seafood with chicken. Mm-hmm. Mixed up, you know what I mean? And I would normally get the Singapore meal without pork in it. Okay. But it's 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 pretty it's it's pretty good, you know. It's just, it, it tastes it's like Chinese gumbo actually to me. <laughs> you know, so I, I'll just get that. The, the Chinese food in New York is ten times I'm, I'm over here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. The Chinese food here sucks. I'm originally from New York, I'm from Queens, from Jamaica, mm -hmm. Queens. Really? I miss the Chinese food in New York, because the ones down here suck. It's yeah, so I, down. That's what I imagine. Yeah, and I know you, you, you'd rather walk into a Chinese food place that has the the um the bulletproof glass up, <laughs> and you're talking in between, there and they're like, "All right, take your that's order." The best food though is the one. It's the best. It's the best. <laughs> I think it's, it's one of the great things about being in in Texas is it's such a military town that mm -hmm. we have so many different options from around the world mm -hmm. because we have so many people from around the world here. That's yeah. dope. That is dope. But yeah, China, we got the best Chinese food here. No, you got for sure. I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, you guys don't know Chinese food until you go to New York. Yes. Like, really? Yes. I'm like, yo. Chinese food out here is crazy. It got more expensive though. They like they're playing themselves now. After COVID, they they came up and was like, "All right, so they kind of risky, right?" Yeah, they like, "Yeah, listen, you thought you were gonna get it, huh?" The price of meat went up. That's yeah, the, it did. The, the, Big time. Yeah. So every Big time. everything everything went up. Your boy when never um, don't talk. What never doing? Oh, I'm sitting here taking notes, brother. Taking notes. Okay, no, I'm joking. No, oh, you, said, you said you had questions for me. Where they at? I do. <laughs> let's go. We got All right. Let's go. Uh, the question. Let's see. Which question should I ask you right now? Um, okay. You know what? I'll hit you with these. How about this? 
you've probably toured the world at this point or toured a good deal up to this point. What's some of the best places you've seen? And then second part is, what's one of the most memorable shows you've ever done? Like, who was on the bill that you saw perform with you or you did? And it was like, whoa. Now, that's a good question. Um, Not too bad. No, that's a that's a real good question. Um, the best show that I did with the group was in Canada, in Toronto. Um, the funny part about that is we we that's when we first dropped "Ring the Alarm" off the first album, and you know, it was strange. Well, first and foremost, Canada has a huge West Indian background. Like the the people out there, it it's like the West Indian boat crashed in Toronto in Canada. So for us, it was crazy coming there, releasing a hip hop reggae single that was being played as a reggae single. Like it was, you'd hear our record and then you hear Shaba or Supercat. So we just like, okay, so they're really gravitating to us. And I think we did a show in Toronto and I stood there and I watched people come down the block or ring the alarm shirts that they made in their house. That's how I knew that we were about to take off. And then two weeks after that, we were put, we, our single went gold in Canada in three weeks. And we had the biggest signing in Canada than boys to men. Bomberhead. Exactly. So, taking ring the thinking about ring the alarm. Mm -hmm. What uh, what do you, what do you think about the infusion of reggae and hip hop, um, the the lack of it in today's music? Well, it's morphed into this whole reggae trap thing. Mm. Um, and I think that it it is is good and bad in two different ways. The good part about it is, since it's morphed into this trap thing, you have to be super lyrical as a reggae artist nowadays, because now the beats are empty, so people can actually hear what you're saying. So you got to really be saying some shit, right? <laughs> so the next thing is, um. The bad part about that is there's no more downbeat. There's no more bass lines that would normally be what what was the driving force behind reggae music now. Those are different. And, and, and when you hear uh, um, a reggae hip hop record, it's actually a reggae trap record. You know, so it's it's that's the difference. I mean, so me as an artist, you got to be able to do both. So if a person asks me to do a record, I can't do what I like. I got to do what's what they would not expect of me and, and make sure that it's, it's, it's a mashup between old and new. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are some other radio artists you listen to that kind of inspired you growing up? Mm. Barrington Levy is my biggest, uh, the, 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 the guy that made me, I love him. Fall in love with reggae music. Uh, yes. Bob Marley, yes. But, you know, Barrington Levy, Pinches, Yellow Man, Shinehead, Papa San. 
Okay. Those are the guys that, um, and uh, this group from, from England called Saxon, they were the first people to double time. Uh, when I was 11 years old, they were double timing at that time. And that's how I learned the double time from these guys from England called Saxon. This guy's name was Tipper Irie at the time. And I was heavily influenced by him. He was the first person to get on record and double time a record, but it was he was doing it in reggae syncopation. And I was like, yo, that is crazy. So at the age of 11, I learned, I started writing that whole double time flow because of another artist I heard called Tipper Irie. So when everybody's talking about it develop in um this person was the first to do it, bro. No, I, it was happening when I was 11 years old and people were double timing at that time, but they, they didn't know how to fill in the spaces. Right. They'd say one word and keep repeating and keep repeating and then say something else. But Tipper Irie was the first person that was saying full long sentences. And I was like, that's crazy. I want to be, <laughs> you know? So when you think about, um, the melodic melodic rap. Mm -hmm. um, something just popped in my head because um, I was talking to um, a young guy on Twitter. Um, he's from India. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how Drake was um, the first uh, melodic rapper, and uh, really, first I cringed. She <laughs> <laughs> was like, "Really, seriously?" First okay. I cringed. Sure, but um, what do you think about the fact that um, oh, shit, we funny. didn't, I we didn't do such a great job of teaching the history of hip hop to the youth. I think that we did it a, a big injustice because I take that back. I think that the, the powers that be that are in control, mm -hmm. when they turn hip hop into a business made it made things worse because you could no longer they made things worse because now they dictated what hip hop is. That's the first thing. The second thing is um, since dollars control everything, you're going to hear what a person depicts hip hop is first because they're paying for you to hear that particular thing. Mm. So if you're steady hearing Drake, 50 times a day, excuse me, not 50 times a day, a thousand times a day, <laughs> and you're a kid growing up, then you're automatically going to think that that's what hip hop is. And yeah. that's not a bad thing, right? But now we have to be more creative and say to ourselves that, you know, we can use the internet to our advantage and at least start to put together classes or workshops where these kids actually find out what real hip hop is. And, um, you know, we can't blame ourselves for uh, what happened, uh, the changes in hip hop. The only thing that we have to understand is as soon as it became a business, 
is when everything changed. Hip hop was more so a feeling first. So now you have somebody controlling how you feel about a particular record. That never made sense to me. If my mom played a record in the house and I didn't like it, I didn't like it. So it wasn't a situation where, again, radio dictated and told you, well, man, if you're not, if you don't like this record, something's wrong with you. And I'm like, well, damn, maybe there's, there's something that I'm missing. It was, hip hop was never that. It was more so a free thinking thing. So yeah. to get to this part, it's like, you know, we, we, we lost everything, but we can't blame ourselves. No. So when you hear a younger artist who uh, doesn't know who you are or Jizza or the Beat Nuts mm -hmm. um, or what a few of them said they, they didn't even they, they didn't even couldn't name a Tupac song. Well, first and foremost, when I meet artists like that in, you know, the classroom, the first thing I do is I throw on a beat and I, I turn the microphone on and I said, yo, anybody got bars? And you see all these kids run up there and they're rhyming and they're saying what they're saying. And, you know, the one thing that I'm understanding is, is that ageism is a big problem in hip hop because they're actually looking at me as a person that was not part of the culture because of my age. And um, I'm sitting there going, okay, kids, you know, that's what you think is dope. And then it's like, oh, wow, well, you know, uh, Mr. Chip, you're not, you know, whatever. And I get up there and I spank the entire class lyrically. And then they're sitting there going, well, I didn't even think that you had that in you to be that lyrical. And I sit there and I'm saying, well, wow, again, this is how, this is what we're teaching these kids. You get to a certain age. And you, you, you're no longer looking at being creative as a thinking sport. You're, you're thinking that once you reach a certain age, you can no longer put words together where, you know, you got to understand with Michael Jordan, the older he got, he still played at a certain peak, but he played different. He played smarter because he understood he may not be able to leap the way in which he used to, but he has to rethink his game now. Everything's mm -hmm. a thinking thing because you have to understand your body. You have to understand your writing. You have to understand everything. So now I have <laughs> I have kids that be calling me all, all, all hours of the night like, yo, I, I just heard something that you did years ago. And, and, and I heard this the whole backwards thing when I did the backwards record in 91. Mm -hmm. Joyner Lucas did a backwards record. And these kids was like, well, Joyner Lucas did it first. I'm like, no, everything that she comes to hearing, it was done already. You just got to understand. You're just hearing it now, but it was done already. So, you know, I, I pride myself in actually um, trying to teach these kids uh, the difference in, in, in what's happening now. So, I mean, that's that's just the position we got to hold now. You know what I mean? Very true. What, what does hip-hop mean to you? Hmm. Hip hop means water to me. Hip hop means um, free, being free spirited. Hip hop means clarity. Hip hop means release. Hip hop means um, not being uh, like you, whatever dance move you do in hip hop. It's not wrong. I think hip hop. You can't be wrong in hip hop. 
I think in other genres of music, you're wrong because of how it's written. Hip hop right. is the only music that's not written. Like you can't go in there and and you know you you pull out like some Beethoven or whatever. You're sitting there and you're playing that when you see that hip hop. You can't do that. Hip hop. Not that you can't do that nowadays. You know you can get the sheet music for hip hop, but it wasn't born from sheet music. It was just born from pieces. You know what I mean? But do you think but, there's levels to hip hop? There's always going to be levels to hip hop. You know what I mean? I think that um. It depends on on how people look at levels. Mm-hmm. There's levels to hip hop when it comes to production. There's levels to hip hop when it comes to writing. You know, some people just want to be ground floor with shit and just write garbage. And and but that's them. Mm-hmm. But they never challenge themselves to go to the middle floor, the top floor, to take the escalator, the elevator. They're yeah. just stuck. That's why you always have, you know, lyricists like Eminem because he's he's. And so he he understands that there's levels, so he's going to continuously challenge himself. And you got other people that's just like, I'm just not doing that. I don't want to challenge myself. This is my comfort zone, and I think being challenged makes me feel super uncomfortable. So I'm just not going to do it. Right. So you mentioned Eminem. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this? Um, guests of hip-hop oh guests um i have a different outlook on that like um when you think of hip-hop you got to think about the beastie boys you got to think about all those other uh white artists who uh came up as you know came up during that era you can't just say that they didn't have a place in it you know what i mean but when you um when we understand uh, racism and how people, you know, look at things, we also understand that, you know, when you look at Chuck Berry and you look at um, Elvis Presley, it's the same moves done by somebody of a different color and it takes off. You know, and it's the same thing with, with, with Eminem. You know, levels are different, kind of, but same pockets, but it takes off because of whatever. And I and I'm I'm saying this. That's a good question, but I gotta say this. Do you ever notice nowadays that when we did breakdance movies, right? Mm-hmm. It was always how we saw it coming up. Mm-hmm. They they were Latins. They were black people, and that's what we did. We came outside, we battled each other. You know, you had the, the Panamanian guy, the Spanish guy, you had the West Indian guy, the the, the American black. And this is not me trying to, to you know segregate anything, but we knew that that's what hip hop was, right? We understood that it was born out of poverty and everything, right? Soon as ours that be took over hip hop. Now you see the hip hop's movies different. The hip hop movies are different now because now there's a girl or a guy that was from Long Island, right? That was looking at hip hop on television and wanted to do hip hop or whatever. So then they come down to the ghetto and, you know, they come to the rural school and they're just like, yo, I was transferred from Long Island and then they get into the school 
And then automatically the, the, the movie just takes a weird spin. It's like, how did Caroline become a part of hip hop? You know, she's doing the ballet and they're adding it. If you look at all these movies, right? It's the, what, what is it? Um, Chip Fu, I have a problem with this Long Island yeah. talk right now. I have, I, I, the I, I, dance, right? There are a lot of MCs from Long Island who are. Bro, listen, hear what I'm saying. I'm, I'm not talking about you. MCs. I'm talking about, you understand exactly what I'm talking about. You got yeah. 900 different Save the Dance movies, right? And yes, yes, it's, yes. It's, it's not the original movie that we know. We already know that, that they're only doing that because they want to become a part of hip-hop. So as the years go by and you mm -hmm. look back, you're not, you're not seeing Beat Street no more. Mm -mm. Beat Street is gone. You no longer see him. You're not seeing Crush Groove no more. You seeing Save the Last Dance that wild the style. big how they right and Wild Style. You're seeing that now, and the the original culture and the original movies are totally gone. So, let's say a kid you know is born tomorrow. By the time they get older, they'll be looking at Save the Last Dance like yo, that's hip hop, and I want to be like Caroline. And I'm and they changed the whole view of the original of where it was born and how, you know, they just wanted to be a part of whatever. That's the only thing that I don't like about it. And I don't like about what's happening now is because if we don't take hold of our culture and teach it the way in which it's supposed to be taught, then those that are coming up are going to believe that it was born out of a different culture. And I think that's where, uh, I think that's where the, the miss understanding of what was being said um, began because if you if you listen to what was being said mm -hmm. it was basically Eminem is the biggest selling artist rap artist yes and if you let if you let them he will be the best rap artist that was ever created on the face of the earth and wipe out all the history that was built to that moment. That's what I'm talking about. The save that's the save save the last dance. That's, yeah. that's what it is. So I, I'm so glad you put it that way because um I I think it, it's it's been so misconstrued and it's been turned into a black white thing instead mm -hmm. of a cultural appropriation thing there you go where we always end up with the short end of the stick all right they always take it they always take something that we create give it a different name or a different spin and it's theirs the only thing i could say about eminem is eminem is an is an incredible artist cannot take that from him that kid is is ridiculous and so, not only is he incredible but mm -hmm. he also pays homage thank you and he knows he knows of the privilege that he, know, he, he has understands it. and he says it to people like yo you know uh, in certain records he would write about you know how he's he's being viewed or whatever and that's what i respect about eminem but you have certain other people like the powers that be that Make these movies like I'm saying. How many of those movies can you make? I done saw nine of them, bro. I saw nine movies, 
And it's the, it's the same movie being said, being done over and over about hip hop. And I'm like, that's not how it was. It never was like that. It's like the same plot over and over again. The same Thank plot. Because you. repetition. Right. Repetition makes it fat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know the truth. Don't play me. <laughs> you, um, I know you probably traveled a, a lot. What were some of the best places you've seen? I love Ecuador. Okay. I love um, Italy. I love um, Australia. Japan, I love. Um, and I love those places for different reasons. Um, Australia, the thing about Australia is... Um, you know, when I got off the plane, they swore I was one. I was like the Aborigines Australian. You know what I mean, <laughs> it was like it was like that's yo, dope. that's dope. He's the Aborigines dude, but he looked hip though. You know what I'm saying? I'm looking at them like original oh, man, the original dude. But I'm not the original dude that's here. I'm the original <laughs> over there. Yeah. So when they looked at me like oh, his dialect is different, I was bugging because it didn't it didn't click. Right. Even when I went to Japan. When I went to Japan, I remember again getting off the plane. Get no, we were there with Shaquille O'Neal. It was us, Shaq, Tribe Called Quest, and Ice Cube. But I remember getting off the plane, and I was walking, and we was looking for something to eat, and people were walking up to me. That's an odd bunch. Yeah, feeling my they were they were asking, actually rubbing their fingers against my skin rubbing their fingers against my skin and I'm like yo what the hell is this and I was just like yo is this some weird Japanese thing until somebody was like then they, they've never seen a black person in person oh wow like in like, in, like that happened to me when I went to China in 93 yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was like that was there. 91 for me they were yeah. like oh. 93 was like huh what it was like wow they were taking <laughs> pictures of me <laughs> like I was the tourist yeah, I mean, yeah, they would grab me, and I'm thinking, like, they want me to take pictures of them on the Great Wall. They grabbing me, putting their arm around me, taking pictures with me, and exactly. I'm like, and I was wearing the USA basketball shirts because the Olympic team was over, was yeah. over there. And I was like, this is bugged out. People are yeah. grabbing me. And then I hit Tiananmen Square, and, like, a circle of people followed me. And and well, just for a little correction, I do consider myself the Afrocentric Asian. I'm Chinese Jamaican. So <laughs> when I went there and they saw my different. mother and my grandmother, they were like, a lot of mercy. They never seen nothing <laughs> that's, like that's this. That's different. Before. That's different. You said you're, you're Jamaican and Chinese, but there's still the factor of roots, meaning Jamaica. You get me? Yeah. Well, you're this good. is one thing I, I understand that um, it doesn't matter if you're Irish and black, mm -hmm. if you're Jamaican and black, if you're uh, Jamaican and Chinese, when you walk off that plane, if you, uh, if you got a drop of brown in you, you're black. They don't care yeah, about no. all the extra stuff you you nah. claim. Mm -mm. They don't care about black the is black is black. They just be like, <laughs> they're like, yo, I know, I know. That's, that's that's very true. It's funny you say that though. Like my both my parents are Haitian, right? So that's what I say. Yeah, 
And I even get Haitian people who are like, are you mixed or anything? I'm like, no, both my parents are from Port-au-Prince. They're like, really? But you want to know what the weirdest thing is too? People view those countries totally different than how we know our countries are supposed to be. Like, for instance, um, you'd have everybody that'd be like, yo, um, Chip, you're from Jamaica, right? I'm like, why? And they're like, um, you know, you're dark skin, you're so and so. And I'm like, bro, not everybody from the West Indies is, is dark skin. And then I started showing them pictures of my cousins from Trinidad that are Indian. And they're like, well, they look like Indians. I'm like, yes, like the West Indies in, in these places, it's, it's a cornucopia of everything. Like you, everybody doesn't have to look like what what the world wants us to be depicted as. Like. Right, like Jamaican, we have to be sitting on a branch or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and blowing the, the the conch horns from <laughs> water or whatever. Yes, that's that. Like to play what they what? want you to think. Crazy. You know? They they, they is, like to, you know. Make it is you always a, a way to hide the ills of the world if mm-hmm. you um, cut out the parts you don't like. And go. so, any black person on in any of these lands can pretty much be any shade of any color because slavery was real. And to pretend that it wasn't is their way. They depict it a certain way Mm -hmm. so that the knowledge is lost. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, for sure. After all these places you've you've traveled, what are some places you would like to... um, what are some places that you think you'd like to go and travel in the future? What's on your bucket list? Africa. I got a touchdown in Africa. You thinking uh, what Nigeria, Lagos? Because that's what's happening right now. It doesn't matter where I go in Africa. I just gotta go. You just wanna go. <laughs> I just wanna go. I just wanna, you know. Well, I, then Nigeria would be a. I'm sure Nigeria would welcome you because that they're they're like a they're it's it's like a growing city, Lagos in Nigeria. I'm, I'm hearing a up. lot about people wanting to go there now. That's what's up, but that's the I I gotta go to Africa. That's that's yeah. one place I got I gotta touch down there. I got to before anything. I gotta see there. I gotta. Travel to the different places there, and I think I'll be I'll be good. Not saying I don't want to travel anywhere else, but that's just one okay. place I gotta go. I gotta go. And if you go, how so long are you gonna want to spend so, time? A couple weeks, couple months. I'll probably do I'll probably do a week. Okay, just one so, week just to be like. We, <laughs> since we're on the topic of bucket list, mm-hmm. what is your bucket list of co- of um, collaborations at this point? Yeah. And producers, like, because you've worked with a lot. I'm just, just curious, like, you've worked with a lot, hip-hop. but this is a yeah. We keep we keep nope. break we keep breeding them. So, if you had a choice out of today's artists, these mm-hmm. new ones coming up, who would I do a song with? Mm-hmm. I'd love to do a song with Drake. I think it'd be dope because I know that I would go somewhere where people wouldn't expect me to go. And I'm I, shocked with that one. No, I, I, trust me, because it, it's all in the plan. Uh, because you have to, first and foremost, 
everybody would think that if I did a record with Drake, I was going to do I, the syncopation would be old school. That's not what it is. I would blow everybody's mind on that record. and They, they wouldn't even think that Drake was even on that record if I did that record. That's one person. I want to do a song with Eminem. Just syllables out the ass, just just showing people, you know, you know, different rhyme styles. And, you know, everybody's afraid to do records with him because of, you know, his levels. But you got to understand that, you know, just because you don't hear a person doesn't mean that they, they don't have levels also. Mm -hmm. um, Busta, we've talked and, and a lot of stuff in the works with that. Um, I want to do a, I want to do. As far as producers, for me, if the record is dope, I'm good. It doesn't. I don't need any attached. Primo, I'm sorry. I was gonna say. I was gonna say somebody in the past. I was gonna say somebody in the past. I gotta do a record with Primo. Primo. I gotta do a record with, with Rock Wilder. Um, um, Primo Rock Wilder. And I did a record with Pete Rock before, but I want to do another record with Pete Rock. And, and that'll be it. But I mean, anybody who has something dope, I don't care, you know, what name is attached to it, as long as it's it makes sense, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. Let me let me ask you a question. Let's go. No, I do, I do. Um some of the you see how you came with that style, that reggae hip hop dancehall style. Mm -hmm. What do you think of some of the similarities and what do you think of some of the differences between hip-hop and reggae music? And I guess specifically dance or what do you think of the similarities and differences between They're the basically cousins. There's no differences. The only thing difference is dialect. But if you if you really think about it, um, as hip-hop grew lyrically, dancehall had to grow lyrically. And you have artists like, um, wow, it's, 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 uh, what is his name? Idonia. Yeah. yeah. Lyrically, he's a beast. And even if you put him on a hip hop record, he's going to murder it. So hip hop and, and, and dance all have been cousins. You know what I mean? So that's why they both borrow from each other all the time. You know? You think so over time? You think as time has gone on, they fed off of each other? Because I do feel like Vibes Cartel has like a rapper's style to his mm -hmm. delivery yeah, in many does. ways. And mm -hmm. I don't think that would have happened if he did not listen to as much hip-hop coming up. And well, you got to remember, too, um, there was a time when they were playing more hip-hop than dancehall in Jamaica. Because Facts. Late 90s, you know, right? 2000s. And, that's, and that's where everything just started merging and melting because it got to a point where every reggae record before that, you knew exactly what the artist was going to say if it was in a different, if it was in a, a specific pattern. So you knew if this artist said that, the next word is going to be limb or whatever. And you're just like, yo, there were certain phrases that reggae artists use in every damn record until the, the, um, Vibe cartels and the Idonias and them just started changing up um, where they place words. They started they started chatting like how MCs would run. Sizzler too. Sizzler too. Yeah, Sizzlers. Yeah. You got your Sizzlers. You got your um, what is that dude's name, man? 
Got the new guy, Kabaka Pyramid, kind of it's like a hip hop. Yeah, that's style. Kabaka Pyramid and Skilly yeah. Bang. Skilly Bang, yes. Skilly yeah. Bang is different. His pockets is, re- is come on now. His pockets is ridiculous. You know what I mean? Can but Kabaka you- Pyramid is 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 his tones, his presence is wicked. And then you had soca artists borrowing that. Yes, and Afro beats you know, now and too. You had um, Bungie Garland, a good friend of mine, who's a true soca artist, but when he gets on the record, he sounds like he's a, a reggae artist. You get me? <laughs> Crazy. I, I want to ask this because there has been like a lot of controversy since uh, August 11th has become quote unquote recognized by the Senate as the national day of hip hop. Thank you for some recognition, you know, but there's been arguments against Cool Herc whether or not he is the godfather, grandfather, X, Y, and Z of hip hop. And then also really the bigger question I have is what is the influence of reggae music or Jamaican music? Or do you think there is or isn't in um, hip hop? Because a lot of people are arguing that it is. And they're like, oh, well, they were jazz people scattered. You know, like the Adolf's people and stuff. No. Okay. <laughs> And the sound Yo. system culture. Can you get into that? Like sound system culture, sound dunk, system, like, sound all of that and hip hop. Sound system bonus. culture, first and foremost. If you got Cool Herc coming here, Cool Herc's part of the Herculoids, and he's driving around with two huge speakers and a regular car. That's all from the sound system vibe, right? Then you have, and if you look at it, the same thing that they were doing in Jamaica, they were doing in New York at the same time after that. They understood that they had to plug up to lights to play music in the parks. Get me? And it's the same thing that was happening in Jamaica when they were doing sound clashes. They're plugging up to the lights, the same big speakers and everything else. So, so for me, that culture, we didn't know about that culture until Cool Herc. On a difference, there were some West Indian people that when they came to New York and we saw that in the parks, the first thing that we thought about was the dances back home and, and you know what I'm saying when, when they had certain dances with the sound clash or whatever. So for me, I, I don't think that you could actually argue that down. I don't want to say no jazz or nothing like that because jazz that didn't spark in the parks like hip hop did the rap battles and all that stuff that, that, that didn't spark in, 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 in that sparked in the parks, not like jazz jazz was something else. You know what I mean? I think the bigger argument is they are trying to discredit Cool Herc. Already. Already. Leave that man alone. That man did what he did. He's the godfather. Yes, they were rhyming before him, but when it came to music and hooking up the speakers and all this other stuff and and it, it, it morphing into the scratching and the mixing and the blending of records and all that other stuff that isolating happened the, the break beat, just Thank isolating you. it. Thank you. That's that's that man and 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 all those other scratch boy them. That's them. Leave them alone with that. You know what I'm saying? You can't take that from them. The old, like I said, the older it. we get, they they gonna start to take them take it piece by piece. It's not. Brother, yeah. Brother Jay it. said something very interesting. Mm-hmm. Brother Jay. Brother Jay said to me, "I said, Joe, you're a legend, man." And, we want to keep you, you know, we want to keep your legacy growing and live. And he said to me, said, man, yeah, you know, legends, if they're not upheld or tradition isn't held, he said, eventually dust grows on you. And he said, you become a myth. And mm-hmm. then eventually mm-hmm. you can disappear altogether. And I was like, whoa. I had never heard anybody put it that way. And he says, legends can become myths. And myths can become fables and just blow away in the wind mm-hmm. and i was like whoa mm-hmm. that's facts so that's why we're bringing you know 
people like you, Chip Fu. You are a living legend and definitely powerful. Why, and thank you. Thank you. Thank hey, you still got more to drop. It's not like you're over. No, oh, no, no, no. I'm you, you, just named a, you just named a full clip of people that are like, wait, what? Who? You going to do what? All right. So I see you already, Chip No, no, no. no. Trust me. I, I'm studying hard. So when, when I do start to release at the top of the year, I don't want to hear nothing from nobody. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's right. But always tell them it's hard to change history when the history is still breathing. That's right. Exactly. And like I said, I always tell everybody this: it is it's gonna take a person like me who they least expect, you know, to release a record and you hear it and be like, yo, that's crazy. And then you put the name to it and be like, I didn't know. And then you just keep going. You keep going. It's more so about changing the way in which people think. You know what I'm saying? It's it's how people start to receive things because you gotta think about it this way. If we teach people that when you get to a certain age, you can't do certain things, then they're gonna start looking at age, but it, like 10 years from now, 25 is gonna be old. Yep. Right? 10 years after that, 15 is gonna be old. Like, yo, you 15, yo, you old, you can't, you're not even supposed to be riding that bike right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You need to get off that skateboard. But we have to understand and teach these people that it's a blessing to age. It's a yeah. blessing to still be here and still be able to see and and grow and learn. There's, there's, there's no time. With, there's not an age that you, you're supposed to stop thinking or stop mm -hmm. taking in information or whatever the case. You know, that's what I taught my son when I went back. I went back to college and got my degree in physical therapy sciences. And when I graduated, my thing was I took my hat off of my head, you know, and I put it on his head. And I told him, I said, you know, this is this is our thing. When you have your son, I need for you to graduate from college and put it on his head. And it just keeps going. So at that time, he was because he thought he was like, Dad, but you're old. You're in college. I'm like, well, son, college is just right after high school. You get me? But it's just like how they viewed it. So we have to teach them. They have to view things. You know, totally different. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think one of the things that that sparked that for me was Sunday watching um, the verses with my daughter. Now mm. she knows she knows who KRS One and Big Daddy Kane is. She knows their music, but she watched them perform, mm -hmm. and she was mesmerized. She was like, Ma, this is quality. I was like, yes. <laughs> That's what's missing. I got a question. So who y'all thought won? Well, okay, let, let me say this. Here go the, here go the political let, let answer. You know the political answers. The gangster, the, the, the gangster militant part of me thinks KRS won. The woman who still wants to climb Big Daddy Kane. Thanks, Kane. I can't get mad at that answer. That's a, that's a true answer. That's a true answer. Big Daddy Kane still got it, right? Yes. yes. I, you know... First, I didn't realize hey, it, SP, it, this is a children's as show. many times about as, as I've heard <laughs> yeah. KRS One. I just realized just about every song they did was a diss album, was a diss record. Mm -hmm. 
once you just really listen to it, I'm like, oh wow, this is all this records. Mm -hmm. And then to to see Kane just smooth his way in there, I was like, mm, all righty, <laughs> all righty. Listen, I looked at that. I looked at that battle totally different. I sat there and I said, "Karis One is going to have more hits than Kane." Mm -hmm. But the difference is, Kane is a showman. Exactly. Right. He walked out there. He under. He un. See, Kane understands himself. Yes, he does. Right. Kane said, "You know something? I'm gonna make sure I dress my ass off. I'm gonna make sure I look good." I'm going to make sure that, you know, KRS-One's strengths will be his weaknesses that night because KRS-One could beat anybody in freestyles or whatever. So Kane had five written freestyles, five. Then Karis, no one, no one has ever gotten KRS-One to get mad and curse at them, ever. Mm -hmm. He got mad that night and was like, yo, listen, this is not about freestyles. This is about song for song. And I'm sitting there going, oh, Kane got you mad. Kane got you mad, and Kane was like, "Yo, we can keep going if you want to." You fixed this fedora. You fixed this fedora. You seen him jumping around his little Versace shoes and everything. But my thing was, he came out there as a better showman. When I saw, and this is no disrespect to KRS One, when I saw KRS One, I saw an old man. When I saw, when I saw Kane, because KRS One moved pretty old to me like he was doing the old with the hands Kane just looked super seasoned he walked out there and smooth and he just and even when it came to the raps there was no stumbles or mess ups and or whatever the case may be I said that's hip hop growing old gracefully yeah not saying I'm not taking anything from Karis one but I'm just like yo that's you're the you, you haven't changed Kane you the same guy who used to wear. No, he's comfortable with himself. There you go. And always will go. be. Always there you will go. Be. You see Chip, Chip coming with the Brooklyn T-shirt, ready for the violence. You know, Chip. Yeah, yeah. You it's a little, it, it's a little, it's a little biased, I think, with the Brooklyn. Nah, but nah, I'm gonna give you that. I'm from Texas, King. and I felt the same. I just it, that's it's a woman just thing. A it's a Brooklyn thing and a woman thing. It's a smoothness to Kane. I said, ting, that ting. you can't deny. It, Not, just no, is. no question. No question. And yes, KRS One has the hits. KRS One longer can catalog move, can can mm -hmm. move the crowd, but Kane can remove your bra. And hey, man, that's never, the part. Listen. Never <laughs> heard it said like that. What is Perfect. this going on? Somebody, I'm, I'm gonna say that. I'm gonna say, listen. You know what I heard? I heard somebody say Karis can move the crowd, but Kane can remove the crowd. The undergarments. And watch how everybody gonna react. Like, yo, that is so true. Yo, that's a bar for you, man. You gotta put that in a rhyme, yo. I, I can't put that in no rhyme. <laughs> Some of them can move the crowd, but I could remove the. We got to bring Kane on here. Yeah, that's Kane's line. He can. Goddess is ready for it. Karis Karis is all for it. Oh. We chip. You gotta help us out. You from Brooklyn. We gotta get that Big Daddy Kane thing here. These two look like they can't wait to get a Kane interview. Say that again. I was saying these two over here can't wait to get a Kane interview. We gotta, we gotta make that Brooklyn connection happen. Like pronto. They're like KRS One can wait till next year. No, you guys can get a Kane. We got a Kane before the end. 
they saying through you, Chip. They they DMing me right now. They're saying ask Chip if he could hook up Kane. I'm like, all right, I'll ask. They're very bashful. Let's see how that ha- let's see how that happens. Nah. That, that's that's gonna listen. That could God is just blushing. Don't mind her. That's, that's good. That's that's good. You you don't even understand. Trust me, we You understand what Kane Kane was to us as yeah. women, as girls. Listen, my mom saw Kane and she said. Word for word, this is what she said. She said, "That's a handsome nigga." I said, "Ma, you bold." <laughs> she was like, "No, I'm just gonna tell you as is. That's a handsome nigga." I said, mm-hmm. "Respectfully, okay. respectfully." I was just like, "Wow, ma, he, he could be your son." <laughs> like, no. Disrespectfully, either way, it was just all that. You know, for me growing up, though, King was—I I was much I younger watching King. I was much younger. I was probably like. 10, 11 years old. Right. So it took me a while to, but but even then I was like, man, this guy's smooth. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I seen things from a different perspective because I was so young, but it's just like as time went by, it's just like he's he's he was always gonna have that smooth personality. There you go. You know, that's just I think that's just a part of his character. Mm-hmm. You know, I never which is kind of what I was trying you, to so. explain to Neville before that versus started. That yeah, you can rock the crowd all you want to, but if there is women in that versus audience, Kane is going <laughs> to cater to them, and mm-hmm. we are going to lose our shit. That's the wrong question now. The interview's gone way left now, Chip. You see how you took control of the, the interview? Listen, I had he, to put, ask. he said, I had hey, to by the way, what do you I think about that ask. big daddy thing? Everybody, everybody had their own take on it, but now I have a wholly different take on it. And I, 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 I and I can't front. I can't front. I was BDP all the way before it. It's recorded. You will see right. the episodes. Mm-hmm. But I can't lie. There is a level I always respect. And I always and I think, do think he's in the top five, if not top right. five, whatever. He's he's there. He's in the Mount Marshmallow. There's no question. I'm not saying any. I do have a new level and even higher level of respect from him for him after watching this. And I've seen him live many, right. two, three times. Maybe not his own show, but always guesting with the roots with Gangstar. With I've mm-hmm. seen him come out and do like a little twenty minute, thirty minute set or open up. I've never seen a whole show by him. But after watching the verses. His breath control. Thank you. His cadences. Yeah. Um, he did to me. The man looked like he ain't even bust a sweat. Yo, Paul. Thank you. So, so that, and, and I agree with everything you said. And it brings me back to even what you said earlier, which, you know, in a way, Chipful, not to gas your head up or whatever, but you're a superhero too because you took a quote unquote weakness, right? The asthma. And then went into something and developed it, and it became your strength, your breath control. But the chip fool, I listen to lyrics like nobody's business. Chip fool, I'd have to say you're in the top three or top five of lyricists. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. And for Cadence, but also, and this is no disrespect, I cannot understand. You are one of the few people that I try my best to decipher. And I'm like, Chip, you lost me at bar four. And then I catch on back at bar eight, maybe bar twelve. I'm like, 
this guy's, and I know that I've put in my 10,000 hours of listening, and my listening still can't catch up to on the treadmill, brother. And that says a lot. You get what I'm saying? So I can't even imagine that whatever age I was when you came out, I probably would have never caught it. Now I'm sitting here, I'm listening to your stuff in preparation for this, and I'm like, I cannot keep up with this man's lyrics. I don't even know what he said. I gotta go to genius. That was the and you know the funny thing, genius was wrong too. This one genius was like, I was like, bro, wait a second. I didn't say that. I I never said these six lines right here. That's hilarious. (laughs) I was like, who said that? And they, and I'm and I was trying to get in touch with them, like, yo, y'all gotta change that. Like that's nah, I didn't say that. That makes no sense. Buster and all of them do it, and I'm not taking nothing from them. But mm-hmm. I can listen and decipher. Chip, mm-hmm. there is times that I listen and it don't matter if I played six times, sixty mm-hmm. times, I still cannot figure out some of the stuff. And I know it's not mumble. I know you're saying mm-hmm. stuff, and I'm just like, jeez. You know what it is, too, that a lot of people fail to realize? If I'm dipping and diving between hip-hop and patois, I think they're listening for a particular thing, but it's not that. Yeah. And I think if they understood what I was doing while I'm switching, because if you understand a person that, like, for me, I always say, like, West Indian MCs, we don't get writer's block. We never do, because we have a totally different dialect that we can dip into to make words rhyme with certain things. So if if you know this about yourself as an MC and you're writing, how could you ever get stuck? So what you're thinking that I'm saying, I may not said it in the normal way. I probably just bent it a certain way where a West Indian person could understand it and, and just keep going. I'm sorry to keep asking questions there, but now I'm talking about the MC part. I do find that quote unquote hip hop artists that are either born in the West Indies or have West Indian background. Mm-hmm. Damn SP's thing probably died. Um like Biggie, Buster, they do kind of ride the rhythm and the beat in their own pattern. Kind of like how dance I would almost say that they have a dance hall rhythm Thank flow you. and timing, if that makes sense. They find a pocket and a rhythm with them. There are some quote unquote what they call Yankee or American artists that do it to Method Man, Redman. There's a couple, but for the most part, I do notice the West Indian MCs or mm-hmm. West Indian background, the heavy D's, the Buster Rhymes, the mm-hmm. there's a certain rhythm and rhyme within the rhyme. Is that something that you note too? I guess? Of course, because you gotta remember what we grew up listening to, if you give us a plain beat. We're hearing a thousand things going on at one time that no one else can hear, especially being West Indian. Me, if you give me a plain drum beat, I'm hearing steel pan. I'm hearing all sorts of stuff going on there that people don't hear. And I become the instrument on top of the record. And I find different pockets that you're not even going to find because of how I depict what I'm hearing. You get me? Because of what I was raised on. Everybody's going to hear the regular one, two, three, four. I'm hearing eights. I'm hearing sixteens. I'm hearing all sorts of math going on on this, on this record. And that's why when you hear a record from me, I'm always in some different pocket than the norm. And Slick Rick, that's all. Mm-hmm. And Slick Rick, too, had his own pockets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, SP, I'm sorry. That was it. Oh, no. You're for That was great. <laughs> so, who were the three most influential, well, impactful people in your life, either 
professionally or personally? Mm. My brother. The reason why I say my brother is because we don't know how hard it is to be the firstborn. You never would know how hard it is to be the firstborn. And they learn by serious trial and error. We learn because they learn first and they tell us not to do something because they've been through it. So for me, my brother would be, my older brother would be one of those people because it had to be hell being a, a, a boy growing up and you just didn't know because you didn't have, he didn't have any siblings. So everything was a mistake until he corrected it. And then me coming up underneath him, he was like, nah, don't do that. So <laughs> as I got older, I'm just like, yo, it, it probably was crazy for him growing up, not having a sibling to guide him. But for me, you know, God put it that I have an older sibling where he could turn and look at me and be like, uh, don't even do that. You know what I mean? So I, I would say my brother. I would say my um I'm gonna say my music teacher. My music teacher saved my life because there was a time when I went to school, that was the only class I went to. It was my music class. I didn't go to any other class. I went to his class and um he you know, I snuck out of all my other classes and went to his class. I didn't go to any of the other classes and he'd see me in the hallway and just tell me to come into his class. And I'd go into his class and I'd sit there. I learned how to play the drums. I learned how to play the alto saxophone. I learned how to play the uh, keyboards. And then from there, he was like, if you're able to learn how to do all these things, you should be able to go to your other classes and learn those also. And then I did. You know? Um, wow. I would say... The next person is my mother. The reason why I say my mom is because, you know, being of a West Indian family, mm -hmm. we already have the blueprint. You come here, you work, raise your family. It was different when you had a son saying, Ma, I want to do hip hop music. And, you know, this is this is what I want to do. And, you know. She's saying to me, you know, son, whatever it is you want to do, I'm going to back you, you know. And plus, growing up sickly, she's just like, oh, my God, I don't want him to get into anything because, you know, I don't know. But then to finally get to a point in my life where I was able to pay her bills for her, you know, that was that was my, that was that was the benchmark for me being able to say, well, you know, you you did it bigger than me, Ma. You came from Trinidad went on a boat, went to England, worked in England, and from England came to the U.S. And come on, that's that's bigger than anything I could have done, you know what I'm saying, in my life, you know, for a better life for your kids. And then for me to be in position to give you back that by just saying, let me take care of that for you. That's That was that was inspiration for me. Um, other than that, I want to say my, you know, my son, you know, um, my son changed the way in which I looked at life. 
you know, I, I understood that whatever it is that I had left in me, I had to pour in him. So whatever it is that I had left in me, I had to strengthen it to give to him. You know what I mean? So, you know, all the foolishness that you do when you're younger, you're drinking, you're smoking. No, I had to cut all that out and and uphold the name father and be a father to that boy and actually pour into him. He changed my life. You know what I mean? So there's times now when he'll he'll come to a studio session and he'll be lost. He'd be just like, well, damn, well, dad, I, you know, I didn't even know that you were this type of person. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he's lost. Like, wow, like, I didn't even know. And he's an artist himself. My son is an artist himself. Mm. He's like one of the most wicked to me. He's going to be an insane reggae artist once he drops his, his stuff. People are going to be like, that's your son? I'm like, yep, that's my boy. <laughs> but he, I got to say him, those people changed my life. And last but not least, this is my wife. She changed my life. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To look at life totally different. Because you got to say to yourself, that's an incredible position if a woman can go to God on your behalf and, and, and ask God, to make sure things are right for you so you could do right in the household. Well, that's an important job right there, you know, that, mm -hmm. that only that only a particular woman could have. You get me? So for me, that's right. she, she's also one of those, those those people. Yeah. That was a good question, by the way. But I, had to, I had to really think like, yo, damn, that's a damn good question. I'm kind of stuck. Like, okay, but yeah, we got that. Nice. Oh. Um, thinking back on your career, mm -hmm. which song is one of your tops and which album from your discography is your tops? Honestly, I... Or your favorite? None of them. None of them are my favorite because of how I think as an artist. If mm -hmm. I have a favorite, then I'll totally keep I'll, everything that I'll create will sound like that. Because that, that that'll be that's the that's the benchmark. That's the that's my favorite. So there's no more challenges. So everything that I've done in the past, I don't like. I have I have a question regarding mm -hmm. that too, Chip. What was it like the first time that you heard yourself on the radio, one? And then number two, what was it like the first time you saw your video get played? First time hearing um, the song on the radio, I it, and this is real talk. The first time I heard it on the radio, I watched people's reaction to it. And it was more about energy than anything. I think, I think, all right. Yeah, I'm like, what do you mean by the energy? I, I, I'll say it this way. I think when people heard me, they understood I vibrated different totally from all the other MCs. It was the attraction and vibration first before they started deciphering. Meaning it's like, yo, I don't know what this is, but it's vibrating totally different on this beat. I got to see, I got to learn more about this person. So when I heard it, I was like, wow, that's that sound powerful. And I saw how people reacted to it. 
And then when people saw me in person and they were like, that's you. And I'm like, yeah, they, the questions they would ask me had nothing to do with hip hop. Mm -hmm. They'd ask me about prayer. They'd ask me about what I'd eat. They asked me about what I'd watch. They'd ask me about what I'm reading, which had nothing to do with hip hop because they heard or, or they felt what they felt. So to them, it would, so, so whatever experience they experienced from that verse, when it came down to different people, they had different questions that had nothing to do with music. So it felt foreign to them or something? You mean? I'm sorry? You mean like it's felt foreign to them? No, it, it, it felt foreign to them, but it felt like they felt it before because they're like, you know something? And then they started figuring that they knew the type of person that I was because of the verse. Right. He has to, he, he must smoke because to, that sounds too. And then I'm like, no, I don't smoke because I have respiratory problems. I don't, I don't smoke. And it's like, well, you don't smoke. So where are you going to get this stuff? And I'm like, no, that's, that's, I'm not going anywhere. I'm not forcing my pen. I'm not doing any of those things. But and the then the dreads too, having the dreads too, right? Having the dreads. And they were, they, they swore it was super, super spiritual, which is true. Super spiritual, which and is supernatural true. and supernatural. That's why my um, my one on ones with people were totally different. I, there were some one on one conversations that I had with people that that bugged me out sometimes like, yo. And I knew that God was sending them. And I'm like, what did you just say to me? Did, did you, you like you got you like you got all of that from that? Yeah. And I'm like, that's what you felt. And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, thank you. OK. You know what I mean? So that was what I felt. And, and, the, and the video thing, too. Oh, sorry. I didn't really cut you. No, no. The videos, I didn't. Again, like. Just to see yourself, I guess, in your first video. My, you know, on TV, on the right. screen. To see myself, the first video, I said, okay. It was more so about how my family felt, not me. Mm. Because what it was for me was that was the seed for them for my mom to look at that and be like okay so i had a son <laughs> my son is on television i'm sitting and i'm looking at him okay we did something right we did something good my dad is like oh my son is not roaming the streets doing craziness anymore look at what he's doing he's not on I'm, the six o'clock news right my sister's looking at it like yo that's my brother my oldest brother's like Yes, you know what you know what I poured into him is is working for him. You know what I mean? So it was more so about what they thought first. What I thought about it was, you know, stay focused and keep growing. I think when I saw the breakdown video was the first time I saw myself, which is the second album. That was the first time I saw myself. You know, I'm scratching my head like, wait, what does that? That sounds deep. The reason I, I said that is because like a breakthrough or something. No, it, it was more so understanding that you were. Um, OK, for instance, back in the day when you dropped an album, you know, three years would go by before the next album comes out because you have three singles or whatever. We understood that. And touring then touring and all that stuff. So when I dropped. The first album, I didn't have a beard. Second album, I had a beard and I looked totally different. And now I'm looking at myself. I'm like, 
dag, you've, you've changed. You look grown now. You know, you look like a, a man and, and not like I didn't get up and look at myself in the mirror in the morning, but I didn't have time to you just brush your teeth, wash your face and you're running to make sure you do all these interviews and everything else. But that, I think that was the first time I saw myself. I was like, wow, you know, you're, 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 you're growing, you're doing different things and, and, and look at how the camera is capturing you and how people are reacting to it. You know what I mean? That's like right. the first time I saw myself. Right. You know, it, this is, this has been amazing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> is yeah. there anything that you want to um, promote or um, get anything new coming out? Uh, the top of the year, we'll be dropping a brand new project called Royal Blood. Um, I can't wait for people to hear that. They're going to hear all the dimensions of, of myself. Um, oh, wow. I think that, you know, that's that's one of the one. I ain't going to talk about that. But yeah, <laughs> Royal Blood coming at the top of the year. Um, anything I want to leave by saying? Um, I'll say this, um, people need to understand that just a little word from the wise, your response is your responsibility. How you respond to anything, whether it be negative or positive, is your responsibility. So if a person says something that's upsetting to you, how you respond is your responsibility. If you respond to them by answering them back and you know, you're upset or you're 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 mad because of what they say. You have to understand to yourself that you choose to be mad at that time, that anger is something that you can control. And your response in every situation is your own responsibility. And that's all I got to say. When it's all said and done, what kind of legacy you want to leave behind? What do you want people to remember you for? Reverence that I was very, um, that I took my work seriously, that I loved family, that I loved, uh, I took my work seriously, I love family and I love life. Beautiful. You know what I'm saying? I don't want them to be, I don't want it to be the, a specific rhyme. I don't want, right. I don't want it to be words. I don't want it to be that because you know, you're bigger than words. That was, that's what you created at that point of time or that thought. But I want to be remembered for what I, you know, more stuff than that. And I want to be remembered for for teaching. I want to be remembered for, you know, the 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 the, the elders that were in the nursing home that was getting physical therapy, and, and I was teaching, you know, the therapist at the time for different things. You understand right. what I'm saying? So when everybody comes together and talk, it's not the same thing they're going to be saying. I don't want it to be that one particular line. He, oh, he was dope lyrically. No, yo, he was dope at what he did. He was also for many things. Yeah. Okay. Is there any advice you would give to an upcoming artist that's trying to get into hip hop right now, or at least where you are in your career? What What would be the blueprint? Don't lose yourself. And what people may consider to be weird, it's not weird. It's just that they don't think like you. Wake up in the morning and have conversations with yourself. If you could convince that person in the mirror to do anything you need that person to do, then there's no need for you to even think that fear exists. That's I like it. that. I like that. 
that that's a good answer. It was such a pleasure talking to you. I mean, you are a legend to me. Thank you. <laughs> you know, and um, it's it's just been it's been a pleasure to have this kind of conversation with you. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, well, I want to thank everybody for watching Powerful Impact Podcast. I want to thank you, Goddess, for joining me. And I really wanted to thank Chimfu. Wow, this thank has you. been a pleasure and a dream. And I really do appreciate you taking the time out to come here. No uh, you don't know how special y'all were to us and y'all are to us because your music, we I still listen to it. And I love it. And I've taught my daughter uh, about you guys and she loves it. And That's so I think the best way to keep our legends alive is to make sure we pass it down to the next generation. And so that's why we do this. That's why we wanted to do these type of interviews wow. because I think your grace and who our, our our legends were needs to be displayed and I appreciate you and I thank you for all that you've done for this culture. Thank you so much. I totally appreciate that. And you've had a powerful impact on all of us yes, and our viewers have. as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Keep adding on. We can't wait for the new music. Oh yeah, it's coming. And, and we'll be there back anytime. We, we here for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Where can they find you? Can you drop some of yeah. your social media? Oh, you guys can find me on Instagram, actually, um, at Chip Fool. You can find me on Facebook, at Chip Fool, and uh, Twitter, at Chip Fool. Okay. Any merchandise okay. or anything that you're selling? Or? Merchandise will be at the top of the year. Everything Ooh. is from full force at the top of the year. Yes. That's what's up. Well, let us know, and we're going full force with you because we want to see our legend shine. Yeah, we I do. I appreciate that. Come back whenever you drop any next stuff. Definitely, guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. All right. Good night. Good, good night. night. Peace. Peace.